Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. So excited today about our very special guest. We have Marianne Rodmacher today. You may be a little bit like me. Hmm, do I know that name? Well, whether we do or not, we have seen her words. They're on walls all over the world, used in newscasts and speeches and ceremonies that welcome life, that celebrate a life and everything in between. Marianne has designed thousands of products, written over a dozen books, curated the spoken word of a president of the United States, and has taught writing to populations from primary school to prisons. And every day, as she puts it, is walked daily by two fine dogs who I'm sure rule the roost. She is in the Oxford Dictionary of American Quotations. And ever since 9-11, one of her poems has been featured on the engine doors of firehouses throughout the United States. This is very exciting to have the chance to be here with you. So Marianne, welcome to the Action Catalyst. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's so exciting. I would love to have you share, if you don't mind, just some of the the moments in your life that led you to this point where you've been able to share words of inspiration and words of meditation to help people through difficult times. How did it all happen? Love to know more about your background. I was hospitalized before I was two for several months for a series of life-threatening illnesses. And during that period of time, I was in ICU a lot. And so interns and nurses and staff people and doctors didn't want me to be alone. So they came and audibly did their work, their reporting, their studying. So I left the hospital around two years of age with an amazing fascination with words that rolled off the tongue and were uh, sounded so auspicious. And that began my love affair with language. I loved reading. I felt like I could travel anywhere in the world. My parents were older. I was a, well, contextually, I like to call myself their their, um, 25th wedding anniversary surprise. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I don't believe I am accidental. I believe that I am a gift. And my father assured me of that in his later years. And see what a difference the reframe of those words make. Mm -hmm. I have had the opportunity in the course of my life, Dan, to reframe lots of words to make the circumstance an opportunity to learn instead of an episode in which I could experience dismay. I have observed that talents that come naturally to people, such as my penchant for language, are often seen as simple or easy or not that big of a deal. And what I would love to share with your audience is that just because it's natural to you doesn't mean it's simple. 
or something that should be taken for granted. It means that it's one of your gifts. And that's a sure way of an individual being able to identify a calling or a gift in their life is if it feels normal to them. And when they're complimented by someone saying, wow, look at that. And the impulse is to say, ah, it's nothing. When in fact, it's something to everybody who sees it. It's just normal to you because it's your giftedness. So I was writing templates for letters for my grade school secretarial staff. I was teaching. (laughs) uh, I think I filled binders full of, they just give me circumstances. We need a letter for when this happens with a parent or this happens in a classroom. And I'd write three paragraphs and uh, they type it up because in that period of time, I didn't know how to type. Um, so I, I've had from such an early age, the opportunity to play in the field of words and develop my deep love and appreciation for the impact that words have on others. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing that for basically your entire life, starting from the minute you could hold a pen or pencil. That's right. Actually, from the minute I could move my lips and form cohesive sentences. (laughs) Well, with that early grounding, it's amazing you didn't go into the medical profession. You had all the terminology down. I I have a keen interest in medical issues as a matter of fact. Quite sure you do. Because we're we're on video, I wonder if you wouldn't mind repeating the feat of strength that you shared as we were getting acquainted, (laughs) which is a portion of your, your, your body of work. I usually have a couple of my books when I'm getting ready to do an interview. And today, I don't, I don't know what made me do this, but I just kept going to all of my, all of my bookcases. Uh, let's see if I can make this happen. So I just <laughs> gathered, this isn't all of my volumes, but it's a lot of them. And I shared with you earlier, Dan, that... Oh, wow. Carrying them into this little nook where I knew I'd be speaking with you was an iconic reminder. And what I think I'm going to leave this out for a little while because it's the dead of winter and I'm snowed in. And and some days I uh, I forget. Some days I forget the the enormity of the work that I've put out in the world and lifting. I don't know how many pounds that is, it's heavy, is a profound reminder. And it's a good thing for every person, whether they work for themselves or whether they work for someone else or whether they work in their home, taking care of a home or raising children, to have an iconic reminder in front of them of why they do what they do and what the result of what they do is. That's that's one of them for me. Well, very much so. And for our listeners that might be uh, in a car or out for a walk or jogging, what we just saw was a feat of strength. Literally, I estimate there were 30 to 35 books there. I'm in the book business, so I know that that was 35 to 40 pounds that were lifted from a seated position and held up to the camera. And it was a tremendous achievement. Uh, what's really interesting about the way you put it, Marianne, an iconic reminder it's a way to, to count the achievements. Uh, it's a way to say, hey, you know, even though each word appeared just singly, one at a time, eventually they added up 
and looking back on a lifetime, it's it's stirring and exciting. Yes, word by word. Word by word. Uh, you have some quotations that I had a chance to to take a quick look at, and a couple of them. I, I wonder if you would would comment on them. Uh, there's so many quotations, of course, about courage, and one of yours that is very powerful is that courage doesn't always roar, and that is, I think, because most of us think the courageous person stands up and beats their chest, shakes their fist, and moves forward. Doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says. I'll try again tomorrow. Any story behind that one? Because I think it is so immensely powerful and it's an everyday event that we can all choose to adopt. As my staff in my production company grew, I increasingly developed an office space that was further and further away from the noise of my production company. And so I was behind two doors in my office and I heard the outer door open and close softly. And I heard what sounded like soft weeping. There was a tiny knock at my door. He said, come in. It was a dear friend who had adopted a child from another country. And the language barrier, the cultural differences were overwhelming to her. They, she trained, she studied, she prepared, and nothing prepared her for the enormity of instant motherhood. Mm. And what I said to her that day, and consequently, subsequently wrote down and shared with her, were the roots of that phrase, which has come to mean many many things to many different people. I, I recall the physical therapist who told me that every day that he and his wife left their home, <clears throat> this story is always hard for me to tell without becoming verklempt. Um, their practice on the way out their door in their foyer was to stop at my poster that featured those words and they would hold each other's hands and read read the piece out loud together because they knew that they were going they worked with extremely severe cases and they knew that often they were they were not going to win they were not going to prevail for the health of the person that they were serving and that piece, every day they went to work, helped them restore their confidence in their abilities and contextualize their work. A great way to put it, contextualize. You know, I've often thought that of all of God's creations, the only animals that can actually put things in perspective are humans. We all learn, every creature learns through experience, but we can contextualize and put into perspective and, and your quotation clearly helped that couple in particular, but who knows how many tens of thousands of others have actually written to you over the years and said, by the way, thank you. And that's just a drop in the bucket compared to all the ones that didn't write to you that would like to say, thank you. Must be incredible feeling. It gives me loft. Absolutely. Um, 
Now, you mentioned a moment ago that your production company had grown. You had a couple of doors separating you. That That's jumping ahead into a business that was substantial and, and thriving. But how did you first get started? We, we have lots of entrepreneurs and people who would like to be entrepreneurs. They've got an idea, but they don't have any idea how to turn it into something where they might be able to make a living. Can you share some of the origin story with us, please? I can. I have to this day, and have always had a high level of enthusiasm for making things. I love making things. And I started trying to distill perfume in my backyard when I was six or seven uh, from grapes, because I loved the smell. (laughs) (laughs) I loved the smell of grapes growing in my neighbor's yard, who, by the way, didn't mind me plucking plenty of uh, grapes. It's it didn't work out well. It was one of my first business failures. I gave it all. <laughs> and uh, I had patronizing neighbors. <laughs> and, and I mean patronizing neighbors. <laughs> they, um, they supported my enthusiasm, but it, the, the perfume just didn't last. <laughs> but Amazing. It, but it was an education in science. Uh, <clears throat> Dan, it's important for your listeners to understand a couple of things about my history. I love making things. I love art. I love making marks. And I have no formal training in art. And in fact, I wanted to be in my freshman high school art elective. And I was not vetted in the class and was told that I had no discernible artistic talent. Every high school student has the opportunity to take those batteries of tests that you fill in the blank, you answer the word questions, you do math problems, and you fit squares and uh, geometric objects into bases, and they measure how quickly you can do it. There, my career counselor told me this, that there was a potato chip manufacturing facility in our city, and that would be the ideal place for me to take my skills and build a career. Now, for many years, Dan, that offended me deeply. But actually, that career counselor in fundamental assessment was absolutely correct. I had tremendous capacity for production methodologies. The only error in that career counselor's uh, overture was not thinking big enough. It didn't occur to him in that moment to suggest that perhaps I could utilize my off-the-charts verbal skills with my profound production skills and start my own company. Mm -hmm. I'll never know. It's speculative because of the period of time that there may have been a little bit of tipping the scale because I was female, not male. It's It's possible that the advice would have been different had I been a young man demonstrating that skill set. And to, to that, I say every individual has the responsibility to be absolutely clear on their own talents, skills, and abilities. And there's one person on the planet who can be an unfettered fan of your own work, and it's you. You're lucky you have a group of people around who lean into the can, not the can't. But at the end of the day, 
especially for the entrepreneur, it's the person you're looking at in the mirror that tells you you can do it. Even when the world around you says you cannot. Indeed. Perhaps even especially when the world around you says you cannot. Well, since you did all this pro bono work for the teaching staff when you were in elementary school, what was the first time someone actually paid you for your wordsmithing? Well, Diana, I don't think anyone has ever asked me that question. Paul Duber, who owned a company in Cannon Beach, Oregon, hired me in a retail context and gave me my first set of professional markers because he identified and acknowledged my talent for art and lettering. So while it was not in specific, the, uh, a payment for a thing, it was a compensation acknowledging my skill set. Well, there you go. It's part of your origin story as a superhero. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Um, many, many books, many influences, uh, people that you've helped so much. Um, wordsmithing for a president, helping a president um, hone what was, can you share that story? That's fascinating. I would love to. That mother who I referenced in regard to the courage poem gave a a substantial amount of my work to an adoption agency in Eugene, Oregon. And that adoption agency, in turn, gave my posters to first-time parents, uh, adoptive parents. One of those individuals lived in Little Rock, Arkansas, and was a fine friend of Hillary Clinton. She, over the years, was asked, tapped, to operate President Clinton's store in in affiliation with his presidential library. And this is a study in knowing when to say yes and knowing when to say no. My business plan absolutely involved that I only ever lettered my proprietary style of lettering for my own words. I always said no when people asked me to render their words or famous quotes of others in my style. That Connie called me and asked me, please, to be the scribe for the Clinton um, offering of words. That's what I did. (laughs) I was dead silent because in my heart... I'd, I'd worked for his election. I was very proud of the accomplishments of his presidency. And yet I couldn't say yes because my business plan. And she said, <clears throat> excuse me, you know who I'm asking for, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got off the phone. I told, I said, I need, thank you so much. I'm honored. May I phone you back? And she was just gobsmacked. <laughs> well, don't don't wait too long. She said <laughs> that uh, I didn't. I called back in less than five minutes and said yes, of course. And the relationship just grew over the years. I had the 
remarkable opportunity to have my work in various locations within the Clinton organization and met President Clinton. And I was hired to, because of my work as an aphorist, I was hired to read (laughs) eight years of documents of President Clinton and distill out the the gems, the aphoristic sentences that really encapsulate the work that he did in his eight years as president. It took 18 months. It was a very, very hefty document. And it was a masterclass in not only political acumen, but the process of reading to to distill a single thought in succinct phrase, she says, with a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get it. Um, I always wondered who would go through these magnificent biographies and statements and speeches and come out with the, the gems. And now I'm talking to someone who has actually done that for a president of the United States. I came across his speech that he wrote for Chelsea's high school graduation. And it was so tender. I don't have children, but I imagine how it would feel as a as the president and as a parent to be delivering the address at your child's high school graduation. And it ultimately uh, became a little book. That is fantastic. I know. It's really, it's, it's one of my delightful uh, accomplishments in my career. Certainly. And it's not because you had an intentionality that on line seven of your business plan when you got started and also become the aphorist for president of the United States. <laughs> it was because you shared and others shared what you had shared and impacted and it got noticed by somebody that was ready to notice. There is actually another element to that, Dan, that perhaps is part of your professional experience as well. I can't say for sure, but I mentioned that I actually worked for Bill Clinton's initial election in the county in which I was living. And the week after he was elected, I said to my whole staff, mark my words, someday. I will be designing greeting cards and posters for that man. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And my staff was, oh, yeah. Okay, sure, that's good. (laughs) But it was not written into a business plan. It isn't something I put on the vision board. It was an intention that I set and basically let go of Mm -hmm. and didn't think of again until years later when actually... I was designing cards and posters for that president. Right. Well, but you, you set the intention free in the universe and putting, putting a word to it also gives it power and word moves forward. It does. That's fabulous. Um, When you hit the inevitable roadblocks, you're, you're trucking along, you go around a corner, everything is going great. And then all of a sudden the wheels come off. There's a, a wall that has suddenly appeared and you're careening straight toward it and you hit it. Um, 
What about coping with setbacks and frustrations and disappointments? What, what have you learned strategically that helps? I learned that in the context of my history, every, every single setback has been the seed pot for a tremendous success. So it, to use a current vernacular, it sucks while you're in the seed pot because you're, you're in dirt, you're covered in dirt. <laughs> You know? And manure usually. And manure, let's not forget that. But <laughs> but being able to have, I mentioned icons and I happen to have, I'll take my timer off. This is my iconic reminder, Dan, of what matters to me. I teach a process called Remember and Do What Matters. And these are my life markers. And when I am in failure, and I try to be in failure enthusiastically, but it surely doesn't always work that way. When I'm facing an obstacle or a roadblock, I always come back to this and ask myself, am I doing what matters? And if I am, then I ask myself, am I getting ready to take an exit too soon? Or am I on the wrong road? That, now, I, could, I couldn't actually read what was on the ruler. And for our listeners that are audio only, uh, Marianne held up a, it looks like an 18-inch ruler, maybe a, a 15-inch. It's a 15-inch ruler. 15-inch ruler with some uh, sticky tape on there with little things written on it. Can you, can you sh- describe what's on there? Well, I divide my life purpose into four key categories. And in each of those categories, I identify three subsets. And these are the measures by which I make decisions. I, I started my life believing that everything should be yes. <laughs> and I learned that saying yes to the wrong things means I'm stealing someone else's opportunity. And so this mechanism is my measure for making sure that I deliver correctly the no's so that the yes that belongs to someone else moves along. Hmm. And looking at that metric reminds me that I could possibly be on the wrong road and need a course correction, which is sometimes true. Hmm. Or I could be on the right road and I just, anyone who's driven anywhere knows this impulse when you don't know the road, when you aren't familiar with the route, you feel like you ought to exit. <laughs> let, me, let me get out of here. Yes. And you exit and exit too early. So that's the other thing I ask myself in the middle of an obstacle uh, is, is it possible I feel like exiting and exit too early? Hmm. So it's become a, a discipline for you to remind yourself of these key guidelines. And the measuring stick is absolutely a brilliant vehicle for that it is a discipline and Mm -hmm. that's that's what's required because if it was purely based on how i feel i wouldn't i wouldn't have a two-foot stack of books well that is very true you'd have to do your weightlifting elsewhere instead of with words that have changed people's lives um time with you flies marianne this is just incredibly inspiring for me um what, what would you say to, to one of our listeners who is 
I guess the phrase would be who's totally out of aces, you know, to quote the Kenny Rogers gambler song out of aces. They are, they're discouraged to the point of, they don't know how to even move forward. What, what would you suggest they work on mentally, emotionally? I would say to you, listener, that may have just said, I'm so glad Dan asked that because that's me. I would say if you're breathing, you are not out of an ace. Your breath is a sure sign that there's opportunity waiting for you. And in the same way that that assessment came to me in my teenage years of I should go work in a potato chip factory because I'm I'm so good with my uh, eye-hand coordination. Perhaps your skills have been under-assessed and it's time for you to look more broadly and get a bigger picture of the things that you may be capable of with the skill set that you have. Fabulous. As long as you're breathing, then you definitely have at least one ace and that is the power of breath. That's right. That's fantastic. Um, how do you start your day, Marianne? Oh, I'm glad you asked this. I've called this practice bookends for years because I have a morning practice and an evening practice. I didn't know what I was doing was neurologically giving me a dopamine hit. <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I started this practice, I know that now. <clears throat> I read a quote. I identify three things that I am grateful for and three things that I want to accomplish in the course of the day. And then I study something. I study, which means read a book, uh, do a practice. Right now, I'm moving into my third month of a study program to improve my, <laughs> to improve my writing, reading, speed, and mathematical skills. And at night... I, you didn't ask about night, but it's a bookend. So it goes right. together. Um, oh, and I make my bed. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's it. On a day that I don't make my bed, it's a sign <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm walking into chaos probably. Um, and at night, I tell myself th three things that I'm grateful for. And I say goodbye to something. So if I had an undesirable thing in the course of the day, I have a little, I have a little goodbye, a little bombayage party for it. Ooh, that is fantastic. I love that. We say goodbye to it. A bombayage to one thing you're going to let go of. Ayla. Uh-huh. Free. Be free from me. <laughs> go haunt somebody else's That's doorway. Right. Yeah. That's right. That I want my dreams to be preparing me for the next day not living in the day that I just left. I thank you so much for adding the evening practice because uh, I've been um, one tracked on morning practice with many of our guests. So you're absolutely right. They, they bookend and we have a beginning and we have an ending of each day. And then the next day we have the chance to not roar necessarily, but know that we have another day. That's right. Marianne, thank you. Thank you so much from a personal level and how much this has meant to me. You are you are remarkable and you're using your gifts and you're sharing your gifts and you're impacting and you're making the world better. So what more could a person hope for in life? 
Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.